Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has McKinley Wright Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we're talking about that basketball game last night. Um, it was a rough one. It was a rough one. And you know, I've kind of gone back and forth here. Like, is this one where, where you do see a little bit of a moral victory? You know, USC is the, the number 16 team in the country. You, you played them right down to the wire. And on top of being number 16, USC was also sitting at number five a week ago before they, they had a couple of tough losses there. That's a good basketball team. And to be completely honest, I thought there was a chance that the Buffs just wouldn't be able to compete. Eh, that they wouldn't compete. Not that they wouldn't be able to. I thought that there was a real chance that this could be a double-digit win for USC. Um, I've decided no, though. This, this, There is no real moral victory here. Um, mostly because it is USC. And that's a team that you have beaten pretty consistently. And on top of that, <sighs> props to Colorado for the defense last night. The defense was really, really good. And it, it, if, if they could have scored the ball even at a below average rate, if they could have rebounded the ball at a below average rate, like like one of those two things, and they go out and win that game. But because that offense was just, I, you saw it, it, it was pretty disgusting. Uh, and because the rebounding was the way it was, that just, that just a, that's just a really rough game. And, and I don't see much for, for silver linings there. Um, and that's, that's just kind of where I want to start this, just just so you guys can get a, kind of a baseline read. Um, but but we do have some pretty big conversations to have. You know, Evan Batty, he had some pretty pointed comments last night, and he was emotional last night. 
um, after the game. We, we, we've got to talk about that stuff. I also want to talk about Keyshawn Bartholomew. Um, he struggled. He struggled again. And I think that this game, at least in my mind, will mostly be remembered for that shot he took at the end where, you know, he, he rushed the possession, pushed into the lane, threw up kind of this over-his-head left-handed thing, um, and, and missing that. Didn't, didn't lose the game, but, I mean, what there's 20 seconds on the clock, and it gives the ball back to USC with two shots from the free-throw line and a two-point lead already. So, so that was really where you were, you were really fighting against the odds after that. Um, and before, you just need that one bucket, and it's anybody's game. So we gotta we gotta dig in on Keyshawn. We gotta dig in on what Evan had to say, and those are kind of the key things. Um, Eli Parquet's injury. I guess since that's newsworthy, we can just start with that. Um, but Tad Boyle did say that he doesn't have a timeline for Eli Parquet. He said that it uh, could be one day, it could be a week, it could be two weeks, it could be a month. He doesn't know yet, and they're still waiting to figure it out. Um, for those who didn't watch the game, didn't see or whatever, Eli was a late scratch. You know, basically everybody thought he was going to play up until warmups. And then, uh, he wasn't out there for warmups. He was on the bench with a walking boot, um, during the game, uh, on, on his right foot. So hopefully he's back. Hopefully he's back. And I guess we'll, we'll get to Neat Clifford who started in his place later on. Um, again, though, Colorado loses this game 61 to 58. They shoot 16 of 51 from the field. That's 31%. Um, they they were out rebounded 47 to 32. And uh, those those are kind of like the the key things going on here. But let's dig in with Evan cuz Evan really set the tone. And he really set the tone all night. And I think that coming into this game, this was one where I I think the Buffs needed to lean on Evan and, and Evan's experience, particularly against USC, um, because you have so many players on this roster who have never played in this game before, this Colorado-USC matchup, which, I mean, there's, there's, there's a good amount of history behind it. Um, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, we can run through that real quick. Um, you'll remember there was like the FBI scandal a couple years ago. FBI's like arresting people. I think it was the Adidas that was involved with um, a couple of teams, including USC and Arizona. They both have to fire assistants, and there's arrests and all that stuff. And and shortly after that all goes down, this is like four years ago, five years ago, uh, four I think. But um, Colorado plays both those teams, beats them both, and and after the game against USC, somebody asked Tad. You know, does it feel a little bit better than a normal win when you're beating a team like USC or Arizona when you know that that stuff's going on? And Tad said, hell yeah, it does. Hell yeah, it feels good beating these guys. Um, and for I mean, just a tiny bit more background. I mean, they were paying players behind the scenes and the shoe deals, shoe companies were involved and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's a, there's a documentary on HBO that's really good about I think it's HBO. Check all that out for more of that information if you really don't know the story. Um, but from there, Tad says that Andy Enfield throws a statement out saying he shouldn't be talking about things that he doesn't have all the facts for. It's disrespectful to the school, the student-athletes, all this kind of stuff. And 
the next time they play, USC wins. It's it's like 70 to 50, something like that. And with 20 seconds left, Andy Enfield, USC's head coach, calls a timeout. And obviously that's kind of uh, it's not what you do. That's where you dribble the clock out. You don't call timeouts right there. And then he, he skips the handshakes afterward, claims that he had players to talk to or something, but skips the handshakes. And Tad, after the game, said that's so, this whole thing is something that we are not going to forget about. And from that point on, Colorado won seven games in a row against USC up until last night. And so that's kind of the background there. And that's something, you know, when all this is going on, Evan Batty's around. Evan has been a part of, of this whole story and this whole rivalry, obviously. And so for him to be out there and kind of know what this game means and also come into it with some confidence, right? Because you've beaten them so many times, whereas some of these freshmen are saying, Ooh, look at that little number 16 next to their name. Kind of kind of spooky, right? Like, Evan Evan took control of this game in, in the way that only Evan can. You know, he was two for two and running around the court, hyping up the crowd, doing all the things he does, and really did provide all that energy. Evan is just such a weapon at home. Such a weapon at home. And it was on display last night, and I give him a lot of the credit for keeping it close, even though he did wind up shooting 3-for-10 after that start. A lot of guys shot really poorly. Um, but that's why I think that this game was kind of an Evan Batty game, because he he knows the history here between these two teams. And I mean, it's similar to a lot of these Pac-12 teams, right? There's history with Oregon, there's history with all sorts of people. So, after the game, he comes into the press conference. He's upset. Um, I, I mean, obviously, he's upset. How could he not be upset? And honestly, I think it's best just to run through what he got asked. He got asked seven questions. And let's just, let's just read them all. Um, first, he was asked about USC's strong defense. And he said, we had open shots that didn't go in. They altered some of our shots at their length. Uh, he got asked about being out-rebounded. He said, points in the paint was 38-12. We had 16 turnovers. There's no hidden answer. It's right there. We have to do a better job, and that starts with me. Um, he's asked about turnovers. So if you turn it over the last three or four possessions, you're really shooting yourself in the foot, and I don't know how we can fix turnovers. We've tried everything really, uh, but we'll keep on trying. Um, we can try to get better every day in the passing and dribbling departments. Uh, then he was asked about Neat Clifford. He had a big dunk and said it was a hell of a play, hell of a finish. We're supposed to ride that momentum out to victory. We didn't do that, so it's disappointing. Um, on learning lessons from this game with a young team, the good news is a lot of these guys are young, so they're going to be set up with that knowledge, game experience for years to come. I'm not worried about the future of Colorado basketball. I'm just worried about winning games right now. And that's kind of when you see the turn. Uh, on what changes can be made against UCLA this time around? Uh, taking care of the ball, guarding. It's been the same things that have been shooting us in the foot all season. We haven't fixed it yet, but we're going to try, and Coach is doing all he can. God bless him. Um, and then the last one, he was asked about his message to the team, and he said, I just said we don't have many of these opportunities left, especially games at home. I'm running out of time personally, so I'm just trying to enjoy it and give it my all for my teammates and coaches. Um, again, toward the end... It, it, you know how Evan talks. It is a little bit more emotional than how I just read it, but he did make it pretty clear that 
this does not stand. He's kind of past the point of being like the, the, the mentor here. They need to go win basketball games and they need to stop making mistakes. And I mean, the way that he said, you know, let me, what exactly was it again? Um, coaches doing all he can god bless him and the way that that came out i mean it was almost like an eye roll he's he's frustrated with his teammates and and the fact that they haven't started to figure things out um and it makes sense right and it's not like he's like the bad teammate locker no it's more of like in a challenging way where it's like i have this much time left i know that i need to be the person who goes and wins us games i know i need to be better but we need to make sure that we're we're fixing these problems that, that everybody is having. And and so that kind of set the tone um, there. Again, Evan Batty at home is just a weapon. And even when he talks about, like, Nick Clifford has that dunk, we should be able to ride that dunk to victory. Like, we should have the momentum from that. And if you guys haven't seen that, like, you should go watch it. See Mark Johnson's call in particular. But it was just massive. I mean, he jumps from way farther away than I thought he was capable of pulls the ball back behind his head further than I thought would have been possible and then throws down the tomahawk dunk over a six foot ten forward. It was just insane. And the crowd goes crazy and all that kind of stuff. But they don't keep that momentum. And, and there were actually a couple of series like that where the crowd's up on their feet because of a defensive stop and they just get a bad shot on the other end. Or, or they make a big shot and then they just give up a quick layup. They weren't able to capitalize on momentum and that's I mean, that's Evan Batty's game. That's what makes him so special because he gets the crowd into it, all that kind of stuff. And it, it really was frustrating. You know, they, they made one of their last nine shots and there were turnovers in that stretch and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was kind of an implosion in a way, even though even though it was still close all the way through. I mean, you look at it, um, they had a two-point lead. They were up 52-50. to 50. Um, on K.J. Simpson's free throw with 3.58 to go. And then from there, they give up a layup. It's an and one. Again, this is another one of those momentum changers. I think that free throw, yeah, that free throw would have been out of the under four timeout. And so then they get the three-point play that blows that two-point lead, turns it into a one-point deficit. Evan Batty hits one of two free throws, ties the game up. Uh, there's, there's a layup from... Uh, USC and then Jabari Walker goes one of two and so now they're down one um then what uh, give up a layup Jabari hits two free throws and then they hit those four free throws in a row um, or one free throw to give them a two-point lead and then uh KJ misses and they hit free throws out but it was a it was a 52 50 lead with under four minutes left, just under four minutes. And in those four minutes, I mean, if they had gotten to 58 points, I mean, I guess they did on that late one. Like, they, they needed basically three baskets, maybe four, probably three baskets in about four minutes. And they just couldn't get it done. And that lack of offense, it's a problem. It's a problem. And and Jabari with those free throws, I mean, he just about had the, the three-point play. Ev Evan, too. You know, it just wasn't quite there. They didn't have enough. And those are the games that I feel like we're kind of used to seeing the Buffs close out. You know, when, when it's McKinley back there and when it's Evan and all those guys, it didn't seem like they were losing a lot of these. It seemed like they were outplaying the other team. But when you just see the, the number of 
turnovers that happen. I mean, l- let me see if I can find. Can I sort these just by turnovers? These are the kinds of things that I should probably not mess with as we're talking. Um, but yeah, there you go. Now I guess the only turnover they have is with seven seconds left. But there was the there was like five and five minutes and a little less than five minutes um at like the halfway point in the second half starting at the halfway point the they're they're just not quite there yet is honestly the answer they're just not quite there yet and maybe it really is that simple um but it sure is frustrating to watch and and again it's that shot by Keyshawn that's that's going to be my lasting memory at least uh would have been that dunk from Neek but when you drive in the lane and he's driving from the corner, uh, 28 seconds on the clock, I think. Stats say he took the shot at 15 seconds. Again, it's a two-point game. And so while it would probably be nice, you see what they're doing. They, they want a chance to, to score, and if they don't score, to foul and be able to, to go uh, get another chance if there's a missed free throw or extend the game. Uh, I wouldn't have minded just holding it for the last shot there. That's more of an NBA strategy where... You expect to score on every possession, right? So if you give the ball back in college basketball 14 seconds, it's like, oh, yeah, you could probably get a stop from USC. Um, but in the NBA, it's like, ah, getting a stop is going to be tougher. So maybe that's just a little disconnect there. And that Bartholomew miss, that was during a stretch where, I mean, that was the eighth consecutive shot that Colorado had missed from the field. Um, not counting those the three-point plays, obviously, that, that could have gone in and instead were just free throws. But... With 15 seconds left, you don't need to force that shot. And they call it a jumper. I'm not sure if I'd call it like a layup or it was kind of a hook shot over his head as he's moving away from the basket. You just can't have it. You just can't have it. And, you know, Tad was asked about some of the shot selection after the game. And he basically said what what you would expect. You know, he said what he always says. That my job is to make sure they're getting good shots. It's their job to make the shots. Um, and jumping in here. Now, if we're not getting great shots, like on that last possession, we got an absolutely awful shot. That's on me. I've got to do a better job. Whether it's having the right players in the game or being a little bit stricter with shot selection. Whatever the case may be, I have to take care of that. Bad shot selection is on me because the players are going to take the shots that they think they can make. Some guys can finish. Some guys can't. And I think some guys are capable of finishing, but they're not doing it. And that's where it gets to be difficult because you don't want to take their aggressiveness away. At some point, you have to be realistic and say, okay, guess what? That might not be the shot that you can finish. You think you can finish it, but that's where you've got to look at the numbers and be real. And that's what I've got. Uh, I've got to have some real conversations with some of our guys. And again, I mean, there there's some bad shot selection across the board. You, there, you, you see it from KJ, for example, and some of those other guys. But, I mean, this one was pretty clearly about Keyshawn Bartholomew because he winds up in a bunch of situations where he's around the rim and he is not putting the ball through the basket when he gets there. Um, and it's a problem. It's a big problem. And, and I think the biggest problem is just that it's gone on so long. You know, he got off to that hot start, those three first games of the season, but in the 14 games since, he's hit 50% shooting twice. 
Like, there haven't been a lot of, like, hot nights. There aren't any nights where, like, wow, boy, was he efficient. It's rare. I mean, I guess you could kind of look to the last game where he's, like, four of nine from the field, scores 16 points because he's getting to the line a lot. And that's a solid performance. And he's had a couple other solid performances. But whenever he has, there's been a bit of a bounce-back game the next week. And you just... You, you've just seen it too much at this point. And, and I think that this end of game sequence might kind of be the nail in that coffin where, you know, I tweeted with like two and a half minutes to go, you know, interesting that KJ Simpson is in with the starters right here and you've got Keyshawn sitting on the bench. And it turns out that they make that change from KJ to Keyshawn and Keyshawn goes out there and misses that shot and it, it, it leaves you wondering what should be different in that scenario? You know, do you just put the ball in somebody else's hands? Is is Keyshawn on the bench at that point? You know, Tad Tad alluded to that. You know, that's on me, uh, whether it's having the right players in the game or being a little stricter with shot selection. And so I think this might be kind of a, a two-step process here where maybe, maybe he extends the leash with Keyshawn just a, a week more and says, Keyshawn, we are we need you to stop doing this. Like we just need you to be more efficient shooting the ball. And right now that means take fewer shots. And and some of those shots that look like they're there, they're just not there. And if you can't figure out which ones are the good ones and which ones aren't, then we need to be having a, a, a different conversation. And, you know, it, it's tough. It's easy to sit here and say, you know, you're you're taking 15 shots a game, whatever the number is. It's not that high for Keyshawn. Um, but we need to reduce that to 10. So find your, your five worst shots every game. 33% of your shots that you take, don't take anymore. Be, be that much more um, restrictive. Reduce the, the looks that you get by 33%. The window needs to be that much better. And it's easy just to say that. But when you're out there and you're in a situation where you say, oh, this is where I take it to the rim, and to not do that, it, it can be a tough change to make. So figuring out when to push and when not to, especially when you're not getting a lot of offense from a lot of the rest of the team. Now, in that situation, let's just throw that end-of-game sequence out. But there's a lot of times during the game where you say, oh, that was a bad shot. But you can't honestly say you know what, if, if you were to use the last 10 seconds on that shot clock and work the ball around, somebody else would have gotten a better shot. You know, you just, it's not there with that team. And I think that that can kind of skew things from Keyshawn's perspective where it's like, hey, I can get downhill, I can get to the basket, I can put one up and see if I can draw contact. It's probably a better option than passing it off to whoever else and, and seeing what they can do. Um, and at this point, I mean, we've seen the results, and the results aren't aren't great. More often than not, that's that's a, been a losing strategy. But you know, these are these are kind of the the tough conversations that come around this time of year. It's also worth noting that again, if, if let's just work up to to that sequence where Jabari misses a layup, Jabari misses a layup, Tristan misses a jumper, KJ misses a layup, Tristan misses a dunk. KJ misses a jumper. Jabari misses a layup. And then it's like, well, Keyshawn hasn't even, like, that. the rest of the team missed those first seven shots. So who do you want taking this one? I mean, you could see how Keyshawn would say, like, yeah, the rest of these guys are cold. I just came in off the bench. Let's go get this damn bucket. And 
maybe there's something there. And I do think that in this situation, give it to Evan. And and I get that Evan wasn't having his most efficient night. Things had really dropped off for him at that point. Um, but he, he had drawn contact plenty of times. And it, it was a struggle. It was it was a real struggle. Um, and, and, you know, I've... You can find excuses for Keyshawn. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, can you sit here and say straight up their best five man closing lineup is Keyshawn at point guard? And I'm just not I'm not sure that you can at this point. And now that gets into the other conversation, which is does that mean you go to KJ? Because we saw KJ make some mistakes too. You know, he he wasn't he cleaned things up later on, although the shooting never really showed up for him. The finishing never really showed up for him. Uh, I mean, he he had two turnovers, but they were both pretty early. There was one that I think was a travel. It was a travel or offensive. I think it was a travel. And then the other one was kind of that KJ special where he dribbles himself into traffic and he winds up in the paint and, and he just can't control the handle well enough to, to get back out of it. And, you, again, you can't have that in these games either. But compared to, and Keyshawn only turned the ball over once, but he was 3 of 11 from the field. <laughs> and so if you add the 3 of 11, say basically 3 of 12 on the possessions he finished, you look at KJ, who was 1 of 4, and say, well, 1 of 4, two turnovers, he's 1 of 6. Like, is there, is, is it that much of a difference? Is it worth it to shake up the locker room and say, like, Keyshawn, we're sitting you down. We're, we're going through the str- I, I I don't know. You know, I do think that, that you probably see more in terms of the closing lineups than the starting lineups. I think that's probably the first change you see. I think that if KJ had gotten hot, if, if he hadn't missed those two shots in that stretch where nobody can get a bucket, they Tad probably doesn't put Keyshawn in. But when they're struggling to score in the way that they're struggling to score, uh, Keyshawn, Keyshawn will put him up. You know, and I've also said on this podcast plenty of times, you this is a team that can afford a volume score. You know, there, there's teams where you you pick up Russell Westbrook and you say, oh my goodness, he's tank- like he's tanking the Lakers. Like he is going to shoot 38%, whether he's with the Lakers or with whoever else. But, you know, if you don't have the most efficient offense and you just need somebody who can get you those 15 points every night because you're you're worried about who can actually get into double digits on a night-to-night-to-night basis, it's, it's a big question mark every time you take the court. Well, then all of a sudden saying, Keyshawn, you know what? Go shoot 5 of 13, 5 of 12, and and put up 15 points for us. And there's room for that in our lineup. Like, you can you can take that many shots, and we can take that trade-off if it means that we're not forcing the ball to Tristan De Silva, forcing the ball to Neek and saying go do something with it. Um and and when you're in a when you're in the shooting drought that the buffs were in, you know, again, you see why you throw Keyshawn in. But I do think that maybe we do see KJ closing games. Um I I honestly would have expected a little bit more from Julian Hammond tonight. Only three minutes. He was barely out there at all. Um and I don't I don't think he was bad. You know, he had a steal in there, a rebound um, made one of his two free throws, didn't take any other shots. Um, he was a minus four in those three minutes, and so maybe I'm missing something. But I think that, that I, first of all, I am surprised we didn't see more of him. I am surprised we didn't see more of Julian in this game. But 
it's clear that that he is kind of a step away in, in these big games in, in Tad's mind. In my mind, you know, is it KJ who'd be your better starter? Is it Julian who'd be your better starter? Is, is it Keyshawn who really should hold on to that job? I, I think they all have fairly strong cases with, you know, Hammond obviously in, in their mind having less of a case. But we're, we're getting to the point where you expect to see some changes. I will say that. Um... And and obviously Tad said the same thing. Like it's not like this is me just saying. You know what? I'm I'm feeling the 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 winds are turning here. The winds are changing. Sorry, not turning. They don't turn. They change. But um, yeah. There's a there's my thoughts on the Keyshawn situation, and it's rough, right? It's just it's just rough. You know, it's 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 tough to single him out too when he's three of eleven. Jabari's three of nine and was basically non-existent in that first half. He Jabari turned the ball over five times. Evans three of ten. Tristan's three of eight. Neek is two of five. Uh, Luke O'Brien, our guy, one of one, killing it. It was a three-pointer. And KJ's one of four. Lawson's zero for three, and that's everybody who took a shot. I mean, Luke O'Brien is the only one who made half of his shots. Luke O'Brien, no, so so he made fifty percent. Neek made forty percent. Um, three of eight from Tristan would be next up. Like singling out Keyshawn and and his efficiency when he actually only turned the ball over one time when Jabari turned it over five times and Neek turned it over three times and KJ turned it over twice. I mean, it it is kind of unfair in one way, but at the same time, it's not just about that one night. It's about what we've seen for over the course of the season, really. And on top of that. He was the guy who took the shot who could have changed the course of the game. And, you know, if Nikola Jokic misses that shot, the shot that ties things up with seconds on the clock, you say, oh, well, yeah, I guess you can't make them all. But when, I don't know. It's tough to find up with find a, just a random, like, role player who everybody knows. Um, but the point is, like, if, when it's the number four guy on the team, who who throws that shot up and misses, then everybody says, well, why are you taking the shot in the first place? And for Keyshawn, he's not even the number four. I think you can make the case that when he's on the court, he's the number one scoring option. And, you know, it just puts in a tough spot when there is no clear go-to guy in those late-game situations and somebody struggles all night and winds up taking that shot. And, again, it was a bad decision. You have 15 seconds to move the ball around, to, to try to find something, to run a pick and roll, to, to set set a back screen somewhere, see if you can get a cutter, to, to feed Evan in the post and say, you know what, if somebody if, if somebody's going to take a tough shot to, to, to send this game to overtime, it's going to be Evan Batty because Evan Batty deserves to have that opportunity to, to make that happen. And that's not, that's not how you think about basketball. You know, you find the best look that you can possibly find. But if you're stuck... I mean, you you give the ball to Evan. And they weren't even necessarily stuck yet, but if somebody's taking a tough shot, unless unless it's like, uh, it's got to be a three-point or something, like you're, you get the ball to Evan and, and let him do that. It is, he's a senior. He's a senior. And um, I, I hope that, I hope that that's uh something that this team can realize because because there's just some of those little awareness things right like that's a thought that we all know and and so much of it just feels like 
they're learning what it feels like to be on that side of things, right? To, to sit on a college basketball bench, to know what it looks like when it goes in there. And, and things like Evan yelling at the crowd and taking an extra lap over behind the student section, you hope that those are things that the young guys pick up on too. Because soon that's going to be their job. They need to be the personalities on the team. They need to recognize that that they are the you know the stars of the show. That's why there are thousands of people there. And hyping up the crowd can be valuable. It's not just just so many little things. So many little things. And you know, Keyshawn, I bet he's going to go back and he's going to look at that shot and say, "Well, shit, what was I thinking? That looks terrible." But sometimes that third person view can be tough to have when you're just out there playing basketball. You know, when you're just out there playing basketball versus watching the TV broadcast. Like, he's seen so many TV broadcast games. And you see that you see that with all these young guys. Seeing some of the takes to the rim. You see some of that with, like, Lawson in the post where the ball just kind of comes out of his hand flat instead of having a little bit of touch to it. It's like, I'm sure when he watches it, he's like, oh, yeah. And the same thing, like, I talked to him about that and the way that he can kind of hunch his shoulders a little bit. It's like, well, you know, you 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 see it. And in that third person view, it's like, well, yeah, that that doesn't look right. You don't need to be, like, crouched and prowling like a – it looks like a cat, you know, like hiding in, like, African brush or something. But, yeah, there's there's – this is one of those games that just kind of solidifies that there's a long way for this team to go, right? Um, and, and and by long way for this team to go, that's if we're saying go make a run in, the, in a tournament. You know, we, we want to see this become a Sweet 16, Elite 8 team. In terms of making the tournament, there isn't a long way to go. It, in terms of, like, being a tournament-caliber team, there is not a long way to go. You, you need one of these guards to really take control of the point guard position. You need... Lawson Lovering to to take another step forward, and you need one other guy to, to to figure something out. And if that happens, then all of a sudden you're a tournament team. Now the the opportunity to make the tournament this season is, and the, the odds are getting slimmer, right? But if you take this team right now and just say, okay, send them back to to day number one of the season and play through this season again, I think that. There is, uh, they're better than 50-50. There's a 70% chance that they wind up going to the tournament. And the, and the reason is because they'll continue to grow over the course of that season. You know, like, you, you go in at this point, you're, you might still blow a game or whatever. You might not go win Paradise Jam. But for the most part, some of those close games early on, those turn into wider margins. Um you compete better with Tennessee. You don't look totally outclassed. Same thing with UCLA in that early game. Um, it's And then you grow from there, right? And so that's what's tough, is that you're sitting here at this point, 12-5 and five and 4-3 and three in conference play. You got an uphill battle. And that uphill battle, I mean, it, it starts tomorrow. It starts when you take on UCLA and, hey... You know, the, the odds of going into that building tomorrow and, and handling business, leaving a couple hours later with a win, slim. They're really slim. And I'm curious what the sports books are going to say about the odds. Um, but, you know, that's if you can pull it off, then all of a sudden you're starting to give yourself an opportunity. But if you lose, like, like I think we probably all expect, then uh, if we're talking tournament, then to have a chance 
to 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 make it not just a total waste of time to talk tournament. You've got to sweep this road trip. You've got to go into Oregon and beat Oregon. You've got to go into Washington a couple days later and beat Washington. And then a couple days after that, you've got to go beat Washington State. Now, Washington, Washington State, you should beat those teams. On the road, though, hey, the, the, the home team in college basketball wins two-thirds of the games. So if, if you're going 500 on the road, you're almost doubling expectations. And that's, I mean, you're getting at least 50% more than expectation. You're getting about 50% more than expectations. So, obviously, Oregon is tough. And any road game is tough. And that applies more to those other two. But if you want to make the tournament, you've got to start taking care of that sort of thing because your opportunities to get big wins, they're just about gone. You know, you've got UCLA tomorrow. Um, Oregon... I actually missed the Oregon result from yesterday. Um, but if, if, if Oregon comes away with it from this week with two wins, I bet they're in the rankings. And I might be off on that, but, but I bet they wind up just sneaking into the back end of that top 25 um, just in time for your, your Colorado's game against them. Um, so that's a ranked team, and there's a chance that they'll continue to be ranked when, when they come to Boulder. And, uh, you know, you don't play USC again. That's another one of the ranked teams. Um, UCLA again that last game is tomorrow and then you'll get Arizona again at, at some point and it's looking like those are your opportunities against ranked teams and right now there's just nothing on Colorado's resume that says oh that's a good team you know that there's nothing that you point to what's the best thing they've done this year like beating Stanford is probably the, the top it's it's rough it's rough. I mean, and you just got to get some of these signature wins, and you, you got to beat the bad teams too. Though Those close games now, this is when they start to bite you. If you'd blown them all out, then you're saying, okay, okay, like well, at least we have the hype. But as it stands today, Colorado is, what, 81 in Ken Palm, 88 in uh, the net rankings. It A win over UCLA would go a long way. win over Oregon would be useful. But climbing up into, you know, that, that top 40, that top 45, there's just not much room for error because those those wins over a lot of these teams just aren't aren't going to move you up more than a couple spots, you know? So it's it stinks. It stinks that, that they're in this position. But, I mean, we were realistic coming into the season. A good goal was an NIT run, you know? The goal is always the NCAA tournament, but if you – go to the NIT, you make it to the semifinal, to the final, whatever. That's a, that's something. And, and right now that, that seems to be more, more in line with what this team is capable of given the position they put themselves in. Um, I've got a little bit more about Neat Clifford. We'll get to Neat Clifford in a second. Um, and this Eli Parquet situation and all that. Um, but, uh, real quick, want to remind you guys about Breckenridge Brewery. We love Breckenridge Brewery because they give us really great beers. We got the tailgate tomorrow. Actually, I have not been told whether we're actually doing the tailgate tomorrow. Um, I'm just assuming because that's what we always do. But, uh, oh, wait, no, yes, I did. No, that's January 15th. That's last week. So, no, I have not heard. But it should be a lot of fun, right? Uh, because we get to go drink a bunch of Breckenridge beers. And you just can't go wrong. I think I'm going to have one of those lemonade seltzers tomorrow. 
I think that's kind of a football mood. I th- so I know a lot of people when it's cold out and it was snowing all day today, they want like a heavy, like give me a vanilla porter. Give me like a nice winter beer. I like to pretend that it's not cold and get something like lemon 80. And then when it is actually nice weather, I also act like the weather is nice and get, I basically always just drink summer drinks, I guess is the point. And, uh, there's a little fun fact about me. So I'm going to be drinking a bunch of those. You should too. 1% of all the proceeds will be going to the National Parks Conservation Association. Love supporting them. Um, and again, that's whether you get a pint at the bar or it's, you go and get a six-pack from a grocery store, liquor store, whatever. Uh, so definitely, uh, definitely do that. Also, we've got the... L- oh, sorry. The escape artist at light shade dispensary so so escape artists it's the highest awarded topical brand in colorado prioritizes quality and consistency um it's like a cbd type deal with the ratios available in one to one or if you want the high cbd then that's 20 to one either way you can go pick that up at light shade dispensary they've got all sorts of different creams that are they aren't greasy they don't stain uh, they're they're fast absorbing and they'll take effect in 10 minutes or less. Um, the, the benefits will last a couple of hours and uh, they've got different flavors, the roads, the cedar, black pepper. And again, you can get all that stuff at Colorado's premier dispensary, Lightshade. They've got 10 and soon to be 11 convenient locations in the Denver metro area. Um, and they've got whatever you want, whether you're a casual consumer, whether you're a connoisseur, whether you're looking for CBD, whether you're looking for edibles or top shelf flour or tinctures or anything um so so definitely go check that out and remember that you can get 25 percent off of all non-sale items with the code dnvr it's easiest if you shop online at lightshade.com and uh, pick it up from there but again use that code dnvr get 25 percent off any non-sale items and finally ball uh we haven't gotten to talk about ball in like a week but ball is the sponsor of ball arena they are partners with the Avs and the Nuggets and I think the Broncos and the Buffs. The Buffs, you'll remember those aluminum cups. Um, we haven't talked about those in a while, but I remember when those aluminum cups were first introduced. And uh, that was, I think Rick George had a press conference with the CEO of Ball back in 2019. So they were talking about all that stuff. It's right before the normal Tuesday press conference stuff. And then right after... Uh, Steven Montez comes out and they still have one of those aluminum cups. And it's like Colorado is the first school to have the aluminum. This is back toward the end of that big sustainability push. And I say the end because they basically did everything they could. And now it's just all in place. But, um, he was really excited about that cup and he wanted to take it home. He was asking like, is it dishwasher safe and all that stuff? And they're like, no, 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 no. That's single use, not meant to be in a dishwasher. So it's things like that. And, I miss Steven Montez. You know, while while he did have like his his flaws, of course, football wise, he was always like a fun guy and always fun to talk to. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ball been a partner with CU since the Montez era, and uh, they've been a partner with us for a, a minute. So if you uh, are looking for a job, check out Ball. They have a manufacturing plant in Golden. Um, they actually produce uh, over one hundred billion. Pla- uh, aluminum cans a year they're super sustainable 70 something percent of all aluminum ever created is still in use today and they're hiring some production techs 
So those production techs, they get $27.39 an hour. There's pay raises, uh, potentially 6, 12, 18 months. Um, you can also get exposed to other opportunities there. And they're the ones who are like manning all the high-speed production equipment, that sort of stuff. Uh, it's a great job out in Golden, 401k, stock purchase ownership program, annual bonus potentially. So there's, there's a bunch of stuff. If you want more information, text GOLDEN to 77222. Get linked to open positions. Or also you can go to jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. That's jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. Or simply text GOLDEN to 77222. All right. Real quick, uh, DraftKings pick of the week. We've got the Chiefs to win against the Bills. Uh, minus 120. Just don't mess with the points. I, I, I just, just take the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is going to win this one. Quick little notes here. Uh, I mostly just want to talk about Eli Parquet being out, Neek Clifford stepping in. First of all, Neek played really well. Um, again, two of five from the field doesn't sound great. Five points on five shots doesn't sound great. He was actually a plus two in this game. Luke O'Brien was a plus nine in 15 minutes. Uh, Evan Batty was a plus four in 34 minutes. Uh, Neat Clifford was a plus two in 34 minutes. So, so those are the three guys who ended positive. And Keyshawn was a zero in 25 minutes. Anything else notable? Minus 10 for Jabari in his 28 minutes. Um, but yeah, I think with Neek, I mean, was this six games in a row now that, that he's had a block? Which is just an incredible stat. Like, blocks are not easy to have. And the first one tonight was a jumper at the free throw line and he just pounded that thing straight back. It was uh it was impressive. And we talked about that big dunk. He's a pretty special kind of athlete and I think that it's time to kind of put him in that category where he is super explosive from that 2-3 spot and learn how to weaponize it. You know, you can use him as a bit of a dunker and it'll throw throw defenses off um some you know even like I wonder if they could lob balls to him at some point but but the point is he played well and the athleticism really played up when he was playing USC and, and some of the explosion that they have some of the length that they have um he he had seven rebounds on a night when everybody was struggling to rebound for CU uh, he had a couple assists in there did turn it over three times those two blocks and the, the defense was really good it wasn't Eli Parquet level but it does make you wonder like what what should this team look like? You know, it, is it best to have Neek coming in off the bench? Or is Neek so good that you'd almost rather have him in there in those big moments because of that defense and because of just kind of some of that explosion, the ability to pull in rebounds late? Like, I, I think that long-term, you probably do want him closing games. And I think the easy switch is probably to to pull Tristan Da Silva out. As much as you, you hate to, to lose that scoring... It could be pretty simple just plugging Neek into that three spot. Now, uh, Tad said today, like, he still doesn't really know what, what's up with Eli, how long that's going to be. Until then, like, we don't need to have that conversation. And I do think, though, like, this is this is going to be the lineup until Eli's back. Um, maybe you make a change at point guard or something, but, but Neek is going to hold down that two spot because he just looks so good. The idea of him at the three with uh, Eli at the two – with the length of um, Jabari, Evan being pretty – I mean, that's that's a pretty stellar defensive lineup. And, I mean, they, they were great last night even without Eli defensively. 
um, second fewest points all season for USC. That's a that's a team that can fill it up. There's a reason that they were top five in the country, and they really struggled to score. Um, they they were what, fourteen of th- no twenty three of sixty two in the game, thirty seven percent. Those are not great numbers, and those are not the numbers that you expect for that team in particular. So, again, props to props to that defense as a whole, and props to Neek for being a key piece of that. Um, I think that's probably it. Uh, UCLA tomorrow, big game. Women right now, right now they're down twenty-two fifteen to Arizona State. Hey, this is a this is a big trip for them. Um, you know, you're coming off these back-to-back losses after the thirteen and zero start. Got to stop the bleeding. Got to stop the bleeding. And right now things aren't looking spectacular. Um, but we can talk more about that at a later date. Uh, we'll be back either tomorrow sometime over the weekend to talk about that UCLA game depending on how the schedules work out and I will see you then